Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Fundamentalist uh, Podcast. I thought I was going to wear this scarf during it, but I'm going to take it off right now, and I'll just, you know, if you come closer, I'll, I'll, I'll throw background. it on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you, everybody. This is uh, The Fundamentalist, which is a podcast where we explore the possibility of life before death. My name is Elliot Morgan. I do internet and stand-up comedy, and this is one of my best friends in the world, Northern Irish philosopher named Peter Rollins, who uh, has written many wondrous books, and we started this <laughs> podcast a little while ago, a couple years ago. And has it been a couple of years? It's, I, well, has it? I don't know. Probably has. A year actually, and a half? Yeah, yeah. yeah probably um time is a we already did the episode on time yeah. so if you haven't seen it we did a, a couple weeks ago we did our, our um time one and uh it was i still am confused but um not as confused as i was about the misspeaking one though oh right okay that yeah, one i yeah. still don't that's yeah. uh i'm still working that one out but <laughs> this particular episode is on the individual how to be an individual versus the public and the the mass of people out there and the relationship we have, I guess, with ourselves as well as uh, the faceless other. Um, and you came up with this idea, which I really like. I don't know exactly where we're going to go with it. This is going to be a little bit yeah. more of a free-flowing uh, chat. But yeah, how are you doing? Doing good. What have I been up to? Not much. Yeah, you're in my. <laughs> I did uh, go for a walk. I went to Bouldering. I uh, went. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. How? Uh, what was? Where? Do you call it? Well, uh, hiking. What? Hi, well, you could know where you where you go down a river and you go from boulder to boulder. We call it bouldering. Boulder to boulder to boulder, or well, to boulder. You call it bouldering. So I suppose it's to boulder. It's where you kind of like a big rock. Like you go, like you find a river, and then you kind of walk down the river by jumping from rock to rock. Well, that just sounds a, cute. That sounds real sweet. I bet you there's a name for it in America. Like you're just skipping? Yeah, you can skip if you want. It sounds like frolicking. Frolicking, yeah, we were frolicking. That's great. I was That's frolicking uh, down by the river. Where was I? My girlfriend and I were somewhere and we were, oh, I think it was, we were in Palm Springs and I was like, you want to skip? Let's skip down the road. There's nothing to do. There's no one here. Maybe it'll like wake us up. Did it work? No, we didn't no, do it. No, I, didn't. No. I was like, I'm not going to skip. Um, yeah, so you went bold. Copious amount of drugs. That, Cop- will, yeah. that helps. Yeah. You, uh, you're you officially in my top eight. Congratulations. My top? You're uh, my top eight. You're the people that I see now. Oh, right. Humans that I see. Oh, top eight? So you've got seven others? Well, you know MySpace? Do you remember MySpace? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, just about. So, yeah. I never was on it, so I don't know how it worked. Really? They yeah. had a whole, they had a thing where you would shoot, you had all these friends, but you you would display your top eight. And uh, it used to be like, in high school and middle school, it was like, this is like, who's in your top eight? Like, you'd arrange them and you can piss somebody off. They would take you off of their top eight. And now they're saying, you know, everyone gets a top eight because you're keeping your little circles. Yeah, well, my circles, yeah, super small. Uh, you know, I'm only seeing like two or three people who are all you're, you, yeah. a couple of others. So, yeah, yeah, we're all, we're surviving. Um, it's so, what day is it? It's like the 16th, 17th, something like that? Oh, I have no idea. No, it's nowhere near that. It's about, isn't it not like the 24th or 25th? Here we go. Well, let's see what the answer is. Twenty six. Yeah. <laughs> we had yep. a bet. We had a bet. Me, you, and Curtis about when the lockdown would end, and we couldn't quite remember what the conditions were. But I think hypothetically, I kind of probably won because yeah. mine was the furthest out. Yeah, mine. Mine was like so naive and optimistic. Yeah, yours was like March. <laughs> I keep. I said. I've said this before, but I, I do feel like I have been so astronomically wrong on many on so many levels with this pandemic that I should have known I should just I shouldn't just I should not take a I shouldn't do a bet yeah I I can't trust myself to be able to accurately predict anything but I did predict that what would happen is people would just get bored and they would go about their lives regardless of what the uh, restrictions are and uh, that seems to happen or be happening but that brings us back to yeah this connects with because this connects with the idea of the public. It's, yes. Uh, uh, the what is the public? Uh, with the public being the kind of general, the they, what they think, what one should do, yes. even in the pandemic or whatever. What is the right thing to do? What is the? What, what is it? Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What if it you is. listen to the end, everybody, you get the right the right answer to yeah, that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So the public, and it's uh, the phrases, I suppose it's Soren Kierkegaard, who was the best at talking about this. He um, Take a shot if you're playing the fundamentalist yeah. bingo game. 
There you go. There's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a big run-in with this paper called uh, The Corsier, where it was kind of like a tabloid. What do you call tabloids here? Like, like tabloids? Tabloid, you have tabloids, right? So it's like a tabloid newspaper, a uh, very gossip thing. Yeah. And uh, I think it was the chief editor, but one of the people in the Corsier liked Kierkegaard and uh, I think said something quite complimentary about him. And Kierkegaard being Kierkegaard says, uh, took this as an insult. And he said, you know, to be kind of, uh, to be praised by this paper is a terrible thing, right? He said, I, I wish they didn't like me. And so they took that as a challenge. Oh, boo-hoo, Soren. <laughs> Sorry your, for your publicity. Yeah, well, they, they took it to heart what he said and really? did uh, regret it because then they systematically ridiculed him, started to kind of make jokes about him. There's a famous, one of the few images of Kierkegaard is a kind of a caricature that was drawn yeah. by them. And uh, this actually, I mean, he was a sensitive man, so it actually, I think, hit him quite hard. Kids would laugh at him on the street. The philosopher was sensitive? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, yeah. imagine in today's age, that'd be a dream. I, if I woke up one day and the, the you know Star or whatever, or People magazine, had a whole article that was just like, this Peter Rollins guy is doing some really cool philosophy. I would be like, this is the funniest thing that has happened all year. Yeah. What would you do if you got mainstream success? Have you thought about that? <laughs> that would be, yeah, it's a hard thing to imagine. Yeah. That would we do like. everything to prevent it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Are you, like, would you? I, and mean, I, th- I think, I, mean, I don't know if I'd do the same as Kierkegaard, but I get what he did. Like, he was such a cool and interesting character, and he, he got this moment of kind of, like, success uh-huh. or fame, and he just found it ridiculous. Like, he, and he, uh, he stood against it. He was like, I don't, I don't want this. Good for him. And he developed a whole kind of way of thinking out of this as well. Uh, he did he did hate the, the press. So he did get, he did dislike the news. Yeah, good for him. And it was partly because of this, you know. I'm there. I'm, yeah. I'm there with the disliking of the news. I thought today, I was like, I can dislike the news. No yeah. one's stopping me. I can I, I can not trust uh quietly not like the majority of the media that's out there while also not freaking out and thinking that it's some grand conspiracy. I just had to accept it. I was like, oh, no, I don't like these. I don't know why I like a lot of these people. (laughs) I was watching CNN last night and Don Lemon was on. I was like, Don Lemon always looks like he's annoyed by falling asleep. Like he's falling asleep, but he's annoyed by the fact that he's falling asleep. But see, the very fact that you and we know the names of these people on news channels yeah. is bad, right? Because, you know, for, for Kierkegaard, partly as well, it'd be like news today is opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Most 90% of what you see on news channels is not news. It's not reporting facts and letting you kind of decide what you think, but it's giving opinions on the yeah. news and even opinions on opinions. So now a lot of, a lot of news uh, TV channels seem to, do opinions on what another news channel had opinions on. So you're like two degrees separated mm-hmm. from just factual reporting. Yeah, just noise, noise, noise. Noise, noise, noise. So uh, it's all a mess. It's all a mess. But then there's these people that are watching it. And it's kind of, it reminds me of like The Bachelor and like those types of shows where you watch it and you think that there's the majority of people are taking it seriously. But mm-hmm. the joy of it is assuming that everyone else is taking yeah. it very seriously. But with the news, it's a little different because people are taking it very seriously and in the, as they should in many ways, all the ways. But there's still this weird thing that seems to be, it seems to be getting worse and worse. And there seems to be a, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just too much isolation on my part, but it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for us right now. Uh, That's yeah. my big takeaway <laughs> early in the episode. I feel uh, like there's my, there might be a little bit of a... Um, unrest that is boiling to the surface that's just getting heated up right, i think right. like cuz i don't listen to any of it so i've got no idea yeah really yeah that's the best man that's um yeah there is a i've been trying to cut back on on the social media stuff and the news stuff but then every now and then i'm like i actually do need to kind of stay informed yeah. and know what they're they're what's going on and i watched um like a, a rundown on um one of the channels that was like going through the whole timeline again and it was really interesting because it brought me back to that feeling when it was all breaking out that was legitimately scary and still is scary but not to the degree it was when it was first happening like i was like for i'm 
pretty, I think, pretty level-headed. But when it was first popping, I was like, this is a, uh-oh. Like, I was terrified. Uh, yeah. And now it's still terrible and still very scary. But it seems like certain people have leaned into the fear and certain people have leaned so far away from the fear that they're being very reckless. And I feel like... And I, mo- by the way, I'm unpopular because I'm more with... I'm more... I, being in LA, I'm more sympathetic to the people who want to get out there only because I can stay reclusive all my life. I get money from being mm-hmm. online. I don't go, I don't enjoy going out that much except for hanging out with friends or whatever. But I understand that a lot of people are not just wanting to get a haircut. They're worried about paying their bills. They're worried about feeding their kids. They're worried about, and I do think that they get painted in a very negative way. Yeah, we're kind of dehumanizing by, them. Oh yeah, like a lot in, in in Los Angeles anyway, there's where people a lot of people are wealthy enough and make their living off things like online. So they they kind of start painting these people as somehow kind of these these uh-huh. idiots who just want to go to the pub and drink. Which some um, of them are. I mean, some of them are because there's but there's idiots everywhere. There's idiots on like yeah. there'll always be, you know, a, a small percentage of people who are Kind of maybe not thinking straight. Or yeah. There's a, there's always a small percentage of all of us, as in within myself, there's ten percent of insanity, and so within. What did you take a test to figure that out? <laughs> yeah. Well, like there's always like it's funny. Different people have different weird things. But you know, you talk to someone who's completely rational, and then you hit this one thing where they're big fans of crystal skulls. Yeah, right? yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so everyone has their crystal skulls. I've been watching so much Peep Show, man. Oh, yeah. This show just does not disappoint. <laughs> it does not disappoint. <laughs> the, the, oh, we won't go into it. Oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's always that one thing. And I, yeah, we all kind of, I think if you pay attention to your own behavior, you can pretty quickly find the superstitious sides of you that yeah. you are pretending isn't there while you're being like, I'm Captain Rational. And also, these people who aren't, who are, are, not wearing masks as like this grandiose sign of protest and this like, you know, it's a sign of masculinity to not wear the mask. It's a sign of... uh, I I don't know how many... Obviously, there's some people who think like that, but I wonder how many really. Like, when you know, how many people are either wearing or not wearing as a either virtue signal or as a sign of... Obviously, there might be a few, but most people... Most people aren't, but... Maybe not. I don't know. There's oh, a, yeah. who knows. There, yeah. It could be way more than I think, or way more than you think. It could be way less because you don't. I don't think there's really a way to yeah. to test that. Although, although I think what lends me more to thinking not is because I don't think people think one thing, um, or exactly. even and even also, in a day, like even in a in, even actually, whenever you wear a mask with your friend, you might think something different when your friend leaves. So. That's why I'm very suspicious of anybody having, you know, strong opinions because I think that that our desires and our beliefs actually change a lot. So that's that's again why I'm more suspicious of how people are painted. Yeah, my um the 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 brain the brain frame that I'm trying to like get into with this whole situation and a lot of this is selfish just to preserve my own sanity because I can get riled up when I see the pictures and it gets me all like Come on, like what are you doing? But I'm also tied pretty, pretty intimately to the uh, that side of the spectrum through my Florida upbringing and Florida family. So I I know oh, these yeah. I hear these people. I see what they're saying and posting, and a lot of it is pretty, pretty on the nose and pretty, pretty bad sometimes and pretty misguided. But also like these folks have. It's such a weird thing because I don't want to sound like I'm defending, but at the same time to try to put myself in their position. So many of them have had the same job for however long they've had. They've done nothing in their lives to garner feeling um, ridiculed. Many of them are in unhappy relationships. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes on TV who they've never seen before, who's not the president, and he starts saying that they need to stay home. They can't go to work. They can't see their friends. And it's like, I can understand for many people something like that being the straw that breaks the camel's back, and that can manifest in ways that are that sound really bad. Like, that sound like, oh, they're just ignoring, they're anti-science, and they're anti, and it's like, maybe they're just freaking out a little bit, and maybe it's a sign that well, and, as a and whole. Also, but also maybe they're being rational. Like, that's the thing, because we don't know the science mm-hmm. yet. This is where two, 
Like we don't, it's some people, like I've talked to a couple of people who work in the kind of, mm-hmm. in, uh, with viruses and, but even they're like, like we don't know yet. Like we may not know for a couple of years what the death rate is, what the transmission, trans- oh, yeah, I think, I think, I think cautiousness was the right thing to do, but but this is the very thing that Kierkegaard talks about the public is the public is whenever a very complex thing that we can have an interesting discussion about becomes very simplified and battle lines are drawn and then people pick sides yeah and the media plays into it because battles produce uh clicks and produce viewers i think it's way worse than that though i think it's like i don't think it's just a natural tendency to pick sides i think uh like I saw this thing that it was over half of the tweets on Twitter right now are um, bots about coronavirus. Any tweet about coronavirus is basically there's a 50% chance at least that it's coming from an algorithm. It's a uh-huh. machine doing it. And the whole idea is that it's meant on both sides yeah. to to create that line of divisiveness and be like, this is the this is the people out to get you, and yeah. these people are out to kill people. Why not wearing masks? And we gotta just go. We gotta be angry at each other. And I feel like the only way to fight that is to have some kind of empathy for both parties. And people don't people don't want to do that. It's hard to have empathy for people on one side who they don't know who are getting sick because it's not affecting them directly. And it's hard for people in like the LA bubble to feel empathy for people who are wanting to go out and live their lives. Because not even live their lives, pay their rent, not not feed their children. I mean, that, that's what I want to, I, I kind of like, I don't want to paint it as there are the people who are for, you know, health and there are the people who are for going out and having fun. Yeah. I think I think both sides are going... For, but for different reasons, both sides are going like, how do we, how do we protect the ones we love? Yeah, and they, they, but they're just seeing it from different angles. But it's very easy to paint one side as as not caring about health. But I think both sides, well, I hope that both sides, all sides care about health. All you know? sides do. I think the knowing or feeling as though, especially with the amount of misinformation that's happening, I, this is a, I think we're having slightly two different conversations because in my mind, and this, I'm kind of on one right now about yeah. this anyway, but like the amount of <laughs> fake news and, and blatant lies and conspiracies that are being pushed on people, seemingly pushed on people, it does seem, and this is going to sound ironically conspiratorial, it, it feels like a concerted effort to, to make people uh, yeah. Turn on one another to play into that tendency that people have of of picking a side. Yeah, I guess. Absolutely. Um, and so it's it's but it's such a weird thing because at the core of what I'm trying to say is like having empathy for people rather than dismissing them outright. But it's such a weird culture to live in because I'm as I'm saying that even that feels kind of like like that's too far. Like people are going to be like no. You have to, you have to, you can't have, these people are, these people that are, and it's like, what are you doing? Like, these are your, they're your, they're your, your fellow countrymen or whatever you want to talk about. Like, you don't gotta, that said though, I'm a little, we differ a little bit, I think, because of the, 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 um, experience I've had just with people who are anti this and the amount of the stuff that they're saying is difficult to, uh, to communicate with because it's so like, it's so it's 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 they're all they're lo- they're they're caught up yeah and this is the they is what i want to talk about but one of they're the things caught I like up about and this, i have it figured uh, out the way, one of the things i like about this is we're coming from a slightly different angle and this shows what i what we kind of want is actually a bit of back and forth and a bit of you know we have slightly different angles but actually coming from a similar concern so then the question is back to kierkegaard and, and yeah. the, the public is so what he calls the they, or well, Heidegger calls it the they, uh, Kierkegaard calls it the public. What he means by that is, first of all, the public doesn't exist for him. It insists. It's not an existent property, it's an insistent property. And so an example of this, I was talking to my friend Phil the other day, and they were. T- it was in a room of people talking about coronavirus. And I don't know what the subject was, but basically... Um, they were being careful what they were saying. There were a certain type of group where there's a certain way of looking at the coronavirus. And they were talking and talking about their things. And then one person in the, in the room said something that went against the kind of uh, opinion that that group, that circle mm. should have. 
And Phil said, uh, he said, what was Fun. interesting is, oh no, he said it was great because it was like a sigh of relief. It was like, actually nobody in the room believed what they should believe. Um, but everybody was assuming that the other people in the room believed it. So as soon as one person gave an opinion that sounded like different from what was expected. Then the normal, like, um, I think TJ Miller talks about this a little bit, but the way that conversations kind of have a, a tried and true structure oh, and yeah. you can feel yourself get caught up in like the, I'm going to say this and you're going to say that. And then we're going to discuss this thing and we're getting stuff out of our system and it's beautiful. But like, yeah, I, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That feeling like, you know, when you're in a group and it's like, this is the vibe and this is the message that we're all reiterating and supporting one another, which is cool and natural. But then, yeah, that feeling yeah. of being like, also, um, if I can be honest for a moment, that yeah, like yeah. throws a wrench into yeah. it. And the, and the thing about the, the way the public works in that circle is nobody believed what they all felt they should believe, but it was still operative. It still had power in the room. And that's what Kierkegaard means by the public, i.e. nobody in the room believed what they're what they're supposed to believe, what, yeah. maybe whatever the news is. So say, they're kind of, say there was a liberal group and they're all thinking that they have to be very pro staying indoors. And then somebody said, well, I'm not, right? And then it was like, okay. I'm assuming or, that's what Or happened. the other way around. Yeah. Could, but it could be either way around. In Los Angeles, um, it could be either way. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Although this is in Belfast. This wasn't Oh, LA. it was. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, but I still think you're right about that was the angle. Um, but although nobody believed, still there was this feeling of what you can and can't say. And as soon as one person, you know, broke that, then everybody was able to talk. So Kierkegaard is saying like the public is whenever someone says they don't eat with their mouth full or they wouldn't like that or soon, as soon as we use the word the they or mm -hmm. scientists say or society thinks, whenever you hear those phrases, you're talking about something where at its most extreme, nobody necessarily believes it and it would still work. Now Kierkegaard then goes on to say, well, there are mouthpieces for the public. Right. And that's the media. The media is the mouthpiece for the public or Hollywood or whatever mm -hmm. you want to say is. So they become the avatars. Um, I'm into I'm into this TV show at the moment called Person of Interest. Have you heard of it? <laughs> it's so good. It's so I love it. It's that's so the bad. Most dad show ever. It is. I know it's so bad and it's so good. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but uh, starring Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Somebody told me that the other yeah. day, right? That's Jesus. That's no Jesus. Way. That's, that, who knew? That's, who knew? He appears in so many forms. Yeah. You never know. Well, he is kind of like, he's very much a Messiah figure in this. Mm -hmm. But there's a there's a machine called Samaritan and the series I'm watching, and uh, it's been made by humans, but now humans uh, obey it. Yeah. And it's, that's kind of the way the public works, is like, we create the public, but then... It, it takes on a form of its own. And it's just like Neil Gaiman. Whenever Neil, Neil Gaiman, I think, wrote a book where, you know, it's the idea that the gods exist because we believe in them. Mm -hmm. And as long as we believe in the gods, they exist. But if we stop believing in the gods, they stop existing. So the gods freak out because people are stopping to believe in yeah. them. That's the public. The public exists because we believe in it. And for Kierkegaard, once you stop believing in it, it stops existing. Which, I mean, not to say that, take that in a literal sense as a yeah. disclaimer for any new listeners. You're not saying that the virus doesn't exist the moment we say it doesn't exist. Oh, the oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh no, Just the, the, public, the public, the public. Yeah, the public. And w But let me w back up to, so there's a circle of people, they're talking about stuff. One person says a dissenting or differing view that everyone kind of agrees with in, on some level, but isn't saying. <clears throat> How do you know, though? How do you know that those people aren't, weren't just shifting their views yeah. to align with the person for peacekeeping yes. sake. So that happens in reality. So this is a mind experiment. So it's literally, if oh, you it can, is a mind. Yeah, oh, so it's all well, it is, it is a true thing that happened, but, but in the sense of basically it's a question for the listeners, have you ever experienced where you don't believe something, but you feel that you can't express it to the people in the room because, you know, it, it wouldn't be accepted. And that you, then you find out that nobody in the room believes that either. Mm -hmm. So something is there, but it does. But nobody believes it in the room. But it's still operative. It still has operative power. That's how you get stand-up comedy. Yeah. yeah, but that's the, that's just the, that's just the, the kind of a, a way to start to understand what Kierkegaard means by the public. It's a it's a kind of like how you should think that that nobody might even believe, but it still has operative power. 
I read this thing that was like some, it was on the other side of the uh, equation, I guess, if, if, if since there's two sides, two stark sides. Um, and they were like, you know, no one outside of like a lot of the people, the people who own the internet mm. are under the impression that the actual world like mirrors their own opinions when in actuality the rest of the world is not online all the time. They're not consuming social media. They're not seeing uh, death spikes in, or they're not on the flip side. They're not seeing, um, you know, people partying or whatever. And so they're going about their lives in a much more calmer way than I think people on the internet realize because everything is turned up to 11 on the internet. Mm. And I think that's an interesting thing to, to keep in mind because oh, yes. the internet in my, in my, I feel like the, a lot of what you're saying with the public could yeah. apply to the internet as a whole. Cause you sort of get on there and you're like, this is what people, I mean, Reddit is such an echo chamber of one particular type of view. Um, and then Facebook is a, another type of, echo chamber depending on whatever your algorithms are and it's so easy to feel like you have found not only your community but the, like you, the, where the real people are where the yeah, people yeah. who get it are uh, whereas in the real world everyone's just sort of like no I'm gonna go I'm gonna go do, I'm gonna live my life I'm yeah. gonna do whatever I need to do yeah. and yeah no, so, I mean, yeah you definitely the internet's probably a good ex is a good example of what Kierkegaard means by the public obviously the internet didn't exist for him whatever but but it is a good example of is it, and it's not even that you believe it, it's that you feel there's a certain way to think. And it's not about, obviously, an atomic COVID or anything. I'm just talking about in general. Yeah, we should different, yeah, we should be careful yeah, to differentiate. Yeah, because anytime you one feels there's a way to think, um, and you don't even think it yourself, you just go, there's a certain expectancy of, of who I should love or mm -hmm. who, what I should do or what I should believe that you kind of obey but don't even necessarily subjectively agree with that's kind of an experience of the public yeah that makes yeah. a lot of sense it's sort of like uh i mean it, it reminds me of the uh what we desire is the desire of the other and yeah. if the big if the other is the public we want to feel like we are in line with what the what we perceive the public to want. Yes. And the, and the thing about the public, which is the key element is, and then literally nobody might believe it. So for example, with reality TV, like you could imagine a world where literally everyone is watching ironically. There's no naive person who thinks keeping up with the Kardashians is something to want or aspire to. So everyone's watching it naively thinking that there is a, or no, everyone's watching it ironically thinking yeah. there's a naive viewer. So in a world you could have a, basically 90% of people watching Keeping Up With The Kardashians all watching it to take the piss out of the, this, this imaginary person mm -hmm. who takes it seriously. There doesn't need to be someone who takes it seriously and it still functions. So although Kierkegaard will say people become mouthpieces of the public, so they start to spite it, uh, they spite it in a certain way. So the main way the public is kept alive is through gossip and gossip means you can say something and you can go, I don't even know if I believe this myself, but people are saying, and everyone's passing around stuff and nobody actually subjectively signs their signature to what they're saying. They're mm -hmm. like, no, I don't know if this is true, but I heard such and such. And then that starts to take a life on its own. And Kierkegaard says, if you, what he calls it the present age is an age of passionate, a lack of passion where many of us start to try to uh, agree with the public. We try to live our lives in relation to the public. Uh, we try to avoid our individuality. Mm -hmm. So he thinks of his age as an age where people start to try to work out what the public is and try to obey it. So we try to think the way the public thinks. Hmm. Um, and so we become its disciples. Yeah, I mean, I remember when, the, in, in addition to the... Uh, the higher degree of like panic that was happening when this, this thing was like coming to America, Corona. Um, 
I remember the amount of text messages from every angle of so-and-so heard this, so-and-so said this, this is going to be shut down by this, they're shutting down all this stuff. A lot of it came true and a lot of it didn't, but it didn't matter because it was just going to spread like wildfire. Yeah, Yeah, and I mean, it goes, it's very easy to make stuff go viral if you put a little, um, like, like disclaimer of reason on yeah. it. It's like it almost makes it more dangerous because the moment you wash your hands of it and you go, I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm just saying this just yeah. to be on the safe side. What you're doing, yeah, you're going, I don't know if they so-and-so cheated, but I have a feeling that maybe it did. And then all of a sudden that person for the rest of their lives walks around going, I Parson Brown is a cheater, even though that person never cheated. Yeah, and, it, and that's exactly, it's the they, it's they say, scientists say, society says they. As soon as you, when you use that term, you're touching on something. So basically there's three ways to have a belief, really. There's reason where you think it through, you do your research on any belief. You research it, you read the actual material, you become an expert, which yeah. we can't become an expert in everything, but you know, that's it. If you're an expert in an area, you learn it and you countersign it. You say, this is what I believe. Um, then there's opinion. An opinion is more like uh, kind of what do I think? I haven't looked into it. I haven't done the research. But, you know, I, I, this, I think such and such. And then gossip is where you say, they say, it's been said, I heard. And that's like the least subjectively invested. Yeah. So reason is the most subjectively invested. You're like, I've researched it. I've thought about it. I've spent 10 years studying this subject. And I think this. Opinion is in the middle. It's like, you're still saying you believe it. But you're going, but like, I don't know, I could be wrong. Yep. A gossip is where you're saying, oh, I don't know. Uh, and, and gossip is really where the public starts to yep. grow. It's so, that, yeah, I, uh, I'll catch myself doing that sometimes and I'll be like, I mean, so, you know, I'll have an opinion, right? Like, let's say it's a business decision and I'll have an opinion that I feel is uh, good, that it's researched, that I'm right, that it's, it is. It makes sense in every way, and I have a reasoning behind it where I do like, you know, this is start at the most base level desire, and then get to the specific conclusion, and I go through all this work, and then when it comes time to actually share the opinion, I'll be like, well, so and so said this, so maybe we yeah. should do this, and it's like I don't have. There's a fear there of being able to stand on my own two feet and be like, no, this is going. This is my like. This is what I've worked on, this is a conclusion I've worked to come to, and I do all the, the work, and then I outsource the uh, responsibility to oh, someone awesome. else. And it makes it, ironically, it makes it very palatable for the other parties to be like, oh, well, that person said this. Okay, because you then can't, you then put the other person in a position where they can't argue your opinion because you've already said, well, it's just somebody else's opinion. Yeah, yeah. What does it matter? And then so it's sort of like, it's almost manipulative to, to have less of an opinion on that. I was going to say, because that, that for me is strategic. You know, that's it. That for me is a, a strategic leadership thing, which is as long as you've done the research and you, you know, you're, you're strong in your position, then sometimes if you judge that the people in the room might not like it because of your saying it, then you can do the whole, you know, well, you such know. and such set or put it and ask somebody else to set in the meeting. So, oh, yeah. you know, for me, that's that strategic leadership. <laughs> yep. Oh, thanks. <laughs> at his best, you know. I uh, can't wait for it to start working. Manipulation at his worst and, uh, you know, yeah. and thoughtful leadership at uh, his best. Psych ops. We'll call it psych ops. <laughs> that's a fun word for just manipulating people. Um, yeah. So anyway, what else so, you yeah. got? So, right. So that's the, the, that's the public then. And this has been kind of good back and forth to get to what he means, which is nobody necessarily even in the world believes a certain thing. They may, obviously there mm-hmm. will be people, but it's just a sense of what they think. And by the way, you can define yourself in two ways. Either you want to obey the public, whatever the public is for you. You want to kind of like be the avatar, just like in person of interest. You want to be the agent, the proxy of, of, the public, which is like the media, not a lot of the media, or you want to define yourself against it. And if you define yourself against the public, you're still enslaved to it because you're defining yourself always against it. You're always trying you're to disproving change a what negative. they think. Right? Yeah. You're, yeah, you're always annoyed at what they think. Society thinks this. You're always trying to kind of like uh, either attack it or critique it. or So you're completely defined by it. Mm-hmm. So Kierkegaard isn't... And that's like, that's like the viewer of the Kardashians. Some people watch it naively. Some people watch it critically. 
but both are watching it and both allow yeah. it to exist. And it doesn't have to be Kardashians either. Like I'll sometimes watch Person of Interest and it's like, I know no one's really enjoying this show. I mean, surely no one can enjoy such a cheesy show, but there are people out there who really yeah, enjoy it. too close to home. This is the, you're getting yeah. too close to home here. Old, old, <laughs> I can take the piss out of the Kardashians, ooh. but do not take the piss out of Person Don't of Interest. Don't mess with CBS's Person of Interest, <laughs> television's most that, watched network. <laughs> that is of a higher quality, sir. That's so funny. <laughs> I love, yeah, yeah no, I'm feeling uncomfortable now. Uh, uh-huh. I like to. Well, this is an end uh, of the podcast, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, permanently. Um, but yes, I yeah. know. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah, so you define yourself against it or you define yourself for it. And Kierkegaard wants to say, no, you've got to kind of like just not have any interest in the public. There's a way of being your own. Nailed person. it. Right, yeah. <laughs> to be an individual. Yeah. Um, it's that, uh, I mean, it's the cla- it goes back to so many other areas where it's like, if you can figure out maybe how for your own personal benefit, not necessarily an effort to be right about things, but if you can just, it, this is just me talking myself through this stuff, but like, if you can just hold this stuff a little lighter and not to say that you're irresponsible because that's what it sounds like, but like mentally just go, okay, this doesn't, there's no, neither take on this needs to be the take that I need to be a pioneer for. Because like, as you're saying, no one knows what this thing is in the pandemic and all this stuff. And if you can just take it all in, be a little spongy with it, but also not freak out and try to like, pick and choose or, or, or stand up and, or, or obey. And if it's like, it doesn't seem like any, like either of those options has much of an effect on the behavior of either the individual or the quote unquote public. Like if I'm, if I'm wearing social distancing and wearing masks and face coverings and staying at home as much as possible, but I am not terrified and angry. It's the same mask getting worn. It's the same behavior as someone who is getting upset and doing that too. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like I the, like the I like the fact that it, I'm almost nervous that we're we're focusing it around COVID, but I think you're right to do it, and I think actually we should focus it around COVID. So I can tell. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it is scary because I don't want to. I think people for the most part know and get it and know that I'm not trying to come from a place of like irresponsibility, I guess. Yeah. But I see, feel like yeah. we have a responsibility. I, I you, see, to, but you're feeling, I, this, I think you're feeling the public more than me because in a good way, like you're well, incredibly famous. Yeah. <laughs> but you're feeling that there's something you have to say to make sure that people don't misunderstand It's the disclaimer you. game yeah. of, of, of uh, social media. Of Which going, is not wrong. It's just, that's what, yeah. the, that's what the public is. The public is what makes you and me have to do disclaimers because it's like, because there's something, there's a feeling of like, what is to be thought. Like yeah. for Kierkegaard, by the way, if if we take COVID as an example, Kierkegaard in no way, I mean, he he would utterly say, it, it's not about what you believe, it's about how you believe it. So the public is not one side or the other. The public is on both sides. So if you're in Florida, you've got a different public than you have in LA. Yeah, no joke. Kierkegaard is just saying that wherever the public is for you, think for yourself. Don't Don't define yourself for and against what is so if you're in florida and everybody's for argument's sake <laughs> saying like oh listen we just need to get out there get started then you as an individual will question that not define yourself against it but you'll be going like let's think about the other side mm-hmm. if you're more in la and you're around people who are saying stay home we've got to keep things closed down then the individual will question that again not to find themselves against it but we'll then go yep. let me research the other side so for Kierkegaard the individual is the one who doesn't get swayed just doesn't get swayed just goes like what is the information what is facts uh, but and also has passion um that's we need to get onto that but one is first of all not swayed what do you mean passion so yeah he thinks that the present age is an age where passion is more and more extinguished um, and so he uses an example of a young woman who falls in love. Uh, the guy is absent, let's say he goes off to war, and she thinks he's dead. And then she marries somebody else, and the guy returns. And so Kierkegaard says, okay, right, what happens here? Um, and Kierkegaard says, well, depending on the epoch, that passion will express itself differently. So he says, like, if it's a, if it's a, a religious epoch, Maybe she'll join a convent, like um, 
Abelard and Eloise, uh, a great love affair, but she ended up joining a, a nunnery and he joined a monastery. If it's an age of Puritanism, she might renounce her love, always, like the bridges of Madison County. She always thinks about him, but stays married. Mm-hmm. If it's, um, he says, the age of Louis Fourteenth, she might have an affair with the guy, have the marriage and also have the affair. Or in a different age, the passion might express itself by leaving the husband and going back with the man, right? And Kierkegaard says, right, don't matter, right? In, in all of them, there's passion. And this young woman has to deal with the contradiction of the passion and what to do with the contradiction. And he calls this the age of revolution um, or uh, the age of, um, yeah, the revolutionary age is the age of contradiction of passion. But then he says in the present age, people are more likely potentially to be more utilitarian about their relationships and, and obey the public more and try to get rid of the contradiction and, and basically, passion is is less obvious. So for him, the age of revo- the age of revolution is the age of passion. But today, we're more about maybe going out with somebody who's right for who kind of who can do something for us or who looks good in terms of mm-hmm. our social environment or whatever. Um, yeah, um, yeah, that's a, a great. Great point. I mean, I feel like everyone always feels like Kierkegaard being like, you know, this age is different. We're yeah. without passion. I kind of feel like every generation feels like we've really lost. We really lost it. This yeah. is the whatever. But the the lack of passion thing, this is a separate conversation entirely. But I think it's part of the reason I still enjoy so much of the traditional um like constraints of the things that you hear about people abolishing and like the, I'm not saying it's right for everyone, but there's certain things about the nuclear family, you know, marriage, um, rituals, religion, these things I think are viewed as being devoid of passion in like the modern day world. But in actuality, when you get rid of that stuff, I think it, it takes away a lot of the color from life a little bit. Oh yeah. 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 No, I mean, so, and sometimes, um, those things can become a radicality. That's the, that's the Kierkegaard thing again. It's like, it's not that there is a position that is radical. It's that the contradiction is radical and a, and a passionate person embraces contradiction and they embrace, you know, they, they experience individuality. They stand out from the public. But then the temptation is always to get rid of contradiction, to try to blend with what people think. Or if we stand apart from the public to find another public that we agree mm-hmm. with, we're always trying to kind of like fit in. The age of passion is is where you're able to embrace not fitting in. And that can be... I figured it out. Okay, go for it. I figured life out. Nice. What is it? The one thing that you need, so there's com- there's passion, there's compassion, there's contradiction, okay? Mm-hmm. There's another C I'm going to throw at you. Okay. And this is what I think people that we should inject, this is the vaccine we should inject 8 billion people with. If people, if you're curious, that's the C word, about any of this stuff, yeah. about literally anything, if you keep being curious, you will hit a contradiction in it, basically every area, right? Like yeah. even on an atomic level. Yeah, absolutely. All the way down to the core of our existence, there's contradiction. And the only way you can find that contradiction is if you're curious enough to find it. Yeah. So most people don't want to be curious then because they, it presents a bad situation. And another C, courageous, right? Because there's for, for Kierkegaard, yeah. there's, a, there's a courage, there's a curiosity, and there's a courage because it takes Because what happens if to, you're wrong? That's scary. Yeah, and also takes courage to kind of like to to maintain the the complexity. So for in the whole COVID thing, for example, to not take either side, but to understand the complexity and to try to understand the complexity and then have to navigate the complexity. It takes courage because you're probably going to get shot on both sides. Mm-hmm. It takes curiosity because you have to read, you have to do research. Like there was something on the news recently. Yeah, there was like on the news, you hear something, some some terrible atrocity, but you just hear it for like 30 seconds and then you form an opinion and then often you take a side and the public influences that. The other alternative is really frustrating. It's 
sitting down and reading the the, the reports and looking at the evidence and and it takes courage because you know that whatever whatever situation if you do that you're probably going to end up not at one with the public yeah occasionally you will that's the funny thing you can occasionally find that the public is right Kierkegaard's not saying the public is always wrong but the public is right like a broken clock tells the time twice uh, you know, do you think the public being right though is maybe less uh, objectively like, I, like let's say it's I don't know fifty fifty. The public is yeah. like anything else. Your fifty fifty chance. All right, yeah. whatever. Not good, not bad. But like, how much of it do you think is re- is just projecting onto the public something that is opposing that we can then use as a like? Does that make sense? Like where you. We can imagine, I can imagine any person that I talk to being the other in the sense of going there, they must be on one side and they're not going to accept mm-hmm. me for, for this, you know, uh, way of thinking that I have. And so all of a sudden, unbeknownst to that person or that public, they have now been assigned a sort of antagonizing role when in actuality, um, I'm doing that as a way exactly. of drawing sides. Uh, yeah, and, and sometimes they'll act into it. The funny thing is when we make those assumptions about somebody, often a person picks it up. They feel it. You know, it's obvious in the way we sit, the way we talk, and maybe they want to troll us. You know, in other words, they're annoyed. You know, you think that I'm a redneck. I'm going to pretend to be a redneck just to piss you off mm. or you know, or vice versa. Like, So we make the assumptions, and those assumptions can also influence the person. Whereas, yeah. Is that mm-hmm. what you're saying? I think so. Yeah. yeah, and 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 not, um, yeah, like not viewing necessarily the public versus the individual as not entirely. Os- There's some osmosis, I yeah, think, that happens. Yeah, yeah. It's like you inform the public, and the public informs you because, as you said, the public isn't really real. Yeah. So it's like, I, oh, I was noticing the other day, man. I was talking to a bunch of different people, not a bunch of different people, on the phone with like some family, some friends, and. I noticed that whatever the conversation was specifically surrounding COVID, I was very much in agreement and and really felt passionate about certain elements of it. And uh, they would be different depending on who I was talking to. Oh, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, well, this is just, I'm just a hypocrite. But then I was like, no, I do agree <laughs> with yeah. what you're saying. And I do understand where you're coming from. And even if I don't, I don't need to prove that to you necessarily, but it was interesting. It's like, it go. it's so fun, man. All this stuff is you find it in every walk of life, but that like, that's even a contradiction in my own speaking that only I know about, yeah. like no one else is going to be like, well, Elliot, you say that, but also you also, you know, we're saying that you sympathize with the woman who was arrested when she opened up her salon was trying to feed her family or something like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I do sympathize with the person who got arrested for opening up a, a nail salon who was trying to feed their family. I don't necessarily sympathize with the person who did it, as a protest, but whatever, who cares? Like, I like, yeah. I don't know, you know. Well, that's, that's what I was saying at the beginning is that, that yeah, our views, because I might be talking to somebody and I have a very strong opinion. And then that person says, oh, listen, mate, you're absolutely, you're absolutely, I can understand why you think that. And I'm not trying to disagree with you. And then immediately I go, oh, yeah, although I could be wrong, right? So two minutes ago, I was fighting as if I would die on the hill. And the other person <laughs> doesn't, attack me for it they actually go no i can appreciate you think that and just that grace makes me then suddenly i realize oh i don't fully believe this so that's what i mean about even when you meet somebody who says i believe x that could partly be because of the type of relational dynamic that you've set up that's stopping them from listening to the part of themselves that disagrees with that and that's what the public does the public is weirdly, it kind of reduces us to one dimensionality and it reduces how we think of others to one dimensionality. That's the scary so, thing, yeah. man. That's what's really bumming me out and making me worried uh, about this is just the the reducing every other person to a singular um, stance. It's yeah. just like, we got, we got it. And it, ha- it starts with us as individuals, but like, it's why is no one talking about it on the like why is the divisiveness not more of a headline because it seems like it's something that we're so embedded in that we don't see it and it's like this doesn't need it doesn't need to be this way which i know is a utopian idea and it's like we're never going to be a perfectly kumbaya society but my goodness like this is going to get worse people are going to start getting 
violent and that's when i get like this isn't this is scary yeah and this i mean this is for me one of the the things about philosophy which is actually a public benefit because not all but the kind of there's a tradition of continental philosophy that is about saying that it's about taking a breath thinking things through and not listening detach unplugging yourself from the the matrix of the public um not so that you, because you still feel it. Everyone feels the public. You can never get away from that feeling of the public unless you're psychotic. Um, so the the, the 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 feeling of the public is there. And like, so Kierkegaard, when the Corsier was, was taking the piss out of him, he felt it and it was painful for him. And people laughed at him on the street and they ridiculed him. Uh, but he was curious and courageous enough. He was a courageous figure who said, but I'm not going to become what they want me to be or to find myself against it, I am going to be an individual. And Kierkegaard believed that people could become individuals and he even believed that that groups could become individuals. <laughs> you, yeah. you, could, you could be part of an, a group that encouraged you to think for yourself and to to embrace contradictions and differences. Um, and even in the contradiction, I mean, there's a contradiction of between going, I'm going to both preach about how everyone should be more curious and more compassionate, and also I'm going to delete Facebook, turn off my phone, and never watch the news. And it's like, how can I on one hand say that we should be curious, and then on the other hand say like, mm, maybe don't consume is what you're you're consuming constantly like that's kind of a uh i can like i because my fear is if you go detach from the public whatever which is easier said than done but detaching i think and then also not being curious and not going through the work and the arduous process of being curious also seems to be a world that would lead to a lot of unhappiness because you end up be that's I think what leads to actual ignorance is going like I don't want to know and I don't know and so I'm gonna turn it off and stick my head in the sand and uh, that's just when yeah you, that's definitely what Kierkegaard said yeah no yeah no, when yeah. you lose that um, then you're you're getting into to ignorant territory but the yeah the having the curiosity and also having the wherewithal to withstand so much competing ideas and so many competing thoughts yeah no wonder people are tired right now. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the ways Kierkegaard avoided being part of the public is he would write books with pseudonyms and he would write books from multiple different perspectives so that he could, he could encourage the reader to look at things, to, to do the work themselves. And because you couldn't figure out quite what he was thinking, what Kierkegaard was thinking, you couldn't, you couldn't kind of become a Kierkegaardian mm-hmm. because Kierkegaard was writing to say from different perspectives, sometimes contradictory perspectives, but the whole of his authorship was designed to get you to think for yourself, to, to find your subjective truth, your passion. And, and he, that's so, so inspiring. Yeah. So yeah. So even the way that he approached his, his work was phenomenal. Like, because he didn't want, again, he didn't want you to think like he did. Yeah. For Kierkegaard, it wasn't thinking like him that was the important thing. It was thinking for yourself and thinking passionately and courageously was what was important. Yeah, that's so interesting because I feel like as, as figures who have somewhat public personas, uh, there's such a stressful um, like expectation to keep everything consistent, keep everything the same, keep every like have your your brand, and then. Uh, I know that if my brand is to accurately reflect where I'm at, where I'm actually at is kind of a, like messy. Like yeah. there is a, there's no clear cut thing. And to amplify that is, uh, is, is tough. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. Hmm. And one of the things, um, one of the other things he said about the present age, which is, you know, the present age that's interesting, as he said, is it is an age of image. It is an age of what people look like. Uh, he calls it mimetic imagery. Uh, and he, he says, um, basically, when you meet somebody who doesn't have passion, uh, their outward appearance is more important. Often, actually, all you've got going for you is how you look or how you act in the world. And he says, but when you meet someone of passion, well, two things happen. If you're a person of passion, you're not thinking about your outward appearance as much. You're not thinking about how you come across as much because you're caught up in a cause or in love for mm-hmm. a person, whatever it is. So you're kind of caught up in something and you're not thinking about 
posting it on Instagram, whatever. Yeah. But also when you meet someone with passion, uh, he said, Kiergaard says, like something weird happens is that you are less taken up by how they look and because you're so taken up by their passion. And he uses the example of Socrates. Socrates was well known to be the ugliest man in Greece. <laughs> he was a very ugly oh, yeah. individual. <laughs> yeah. And there was a, there was a thinker, what was his name? Um, uh, Alcesipes or something. There, there was a, there was a Greek guy. He was, a, he ended up being a, like a military and political leader as the name will come back to me in a second, but he, Captain he, of Sicilies. What's that? Uh, General Sicilies. Yes, there you go. <laughs> That's the You're one. welcome. <laughs> um, uh, oh yeah, the name's on the tip of my tongue. But uh, this guy wrote about Socrates and kind of made fun of how ugly he was. Um, but then he says, "We're all the same. Nothing, yeah. No, nothing's changed. <laughs> you know, nothing's changed." But then, but then he said, "But when Socrates begins to speak, he says, I don't see it at all. Like well, as soon as Socrates starts to talk, he says, mm -hmm. I am just drawn in, basically as if he's the most beautiful man in the world.'" And you can experience that sometimes if you're with somebody who's having it, a passionate internal, they have an inwardness where you're so drawn by their passion that you could walk away and not remember what they were wearing, what color their eyes were, anything about them, because they had such uh, a kind of a subjective passion. They're like alive. They're alive, exactly. And I, I remember seeing a documentary of people, it was one of these kind of documentaries that uh, you, you pretend to watch out of interest, but it's just because of the craziness of it all. And this yeah. was about facial deformities. And this Channel 4 basically got people who had the most severe facial deformities and followed them around and you know interviewed them and what their life was like. And there was this one guy and it, you know he was just really deformed. And then he started talking about going to university and he talked about how, oh yeah, he was talking about university. And then they, interview, they interviewed this, this girl and said, well, what was it like getting to know this guy, you know, like, and how he looked? And she went, like, at first it was very hard to get past when he first when I was introduced. Um, but she said, it's weird, as we got to know each other, she said, I don't see it anymore. Like, I don't see how he looks externally. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't lying, and she wasn't kind of picking it. She literally just goes, like, I just don't see it. And in a way, it's because she experienced his inwardness. And it's kind of cool, because... You know, how you look is a bit of genetic lottery, but, but for Kierkegaard, inwardness is open to everybody. And when you have true inwardness, you, there's a beauty that is more beautiful than anything external. Yeah. I, um, that's a great, that's a, it's a lovely, uh, sentiment, it, but it did remind me of the 2020 interview I saw one time. It's like a woman who maybe it's a guy, I don't know, but he's got chronic they got chronic uh, hiccups. They can't stop hiccuping. Oh, yeah. And the reporter just starts laughing. They like, can't help but laugh because they're like trying to <laughs> explain the entire time. It's so funny. Yeah. But uh, very sad and mean. Yeah. Um, I think there was, a, there was a little thing in the Simpsons once where I think guy couldn't stop hiccuping and they were all laughing. And every time, between every hiccup, he just said, please kill me. Yeah, yeah. Please yeah. kill me. Yeah. <laughs> <just> laughing. <laughs> That's very good. Um, yeah, I... Uh, it, also, that reminds me of the the uh, Zizek thing of like the people like that that are passionate that that they are like they got a little flame in them that's burning for this particular thing. They're not usually the happiest individuals mm -hmm. because they are consumed by the desire for uh, even if it's romantic passion. You're like you're not necessarily the happiest because you're consumed with this like. I have to have this person. I have to finish this project. This is, this is, this is, this is. And you, you, I think, wake people up in that state, but you also aren't like sitting around smiling all day. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. not seeing no. that. You're not seeing that. And then you look back on those times and you go, I was so happy. I was so happy. But you really weren't. You yeah. were, you were bummed and you were tired and you were stressed because you were, all of your faculties were going toward one particular thing that you were passionate about. So uh, yeah. that's interesting because I think it ties into this whole thing where it's like if you stay curious and you start finding those contradictions, I think you can become very passionate and very alive. But at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be like uh, feeling good yeah. about everything. I mean, Kierkegaard calls that uh, the despair of not knowing you're in despair, which I think is a great term because he kind of goes like if someone's not if someone's kind of caught up in the public, so they become an avatar or proxy of the public. So they're there. They find a community that they just parrot whatever mm. is said and they don't research things themselves. They don't find something which they will live and die for whatever. 
then they can seem very happy. But Kierkegaard says, well, actually, it's, there's a despair there, but it's the despair of not knowing you're in despair. And weirdly, it, it manifests in what psychoanalysts call a reaction formation, which is the opposite. So someone who maybe is deeply unhappy in their relationship might talk about how great their relationship is all the time because mm-hmm. in a way they're trying to convince themselves, right? Or someone who's doing these, like constantly taking pictures of how great their life is can quite often, that can be a sign that they have an impoverished life, right? Not always, but if it's if it's obsessive, you kind of go, is that person trying to convince themselves? So Kierkegaard says that weirdly, once you go into the, the life of passion, it becomes more difficult, but... Uh, you discover that you already were in despair. You just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And now you have the chance to overcome it. So for Kierkegaard, this is the way of overcoming despair. But it's first of all, acknowledging that, um, weirdly, he would say depression is not subjective. You don't necessarily know you're depressed. Depression is in your objectivity. It's in the way you act. Mm-hmm. It's in your lethargy. And when you start to become inward, you encounter your depression, you subjectivize it, and that's the first step to overcoming it. Yeah, I can't. It's not easy. There's something in me that won't clean up my uh, closet right now. Uh, yeah. And I keep going, like, I'm going to do it. And then I was like, I keep saying I'm going to do it. I'm not doing it. And I'm just putting piles on top of piles. I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm depressed. Yeah. I should do <laughs> the not- opposite. Because my, so you know, my closet is just too clean. Oh, so you're I the, need ha- to mess the happiest person ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, so I know I need a bit of mess. Cause I, yes. yeah. So but both, both extremes are probably bad. <laughs> yeah. You, you clean, you keep this place like you're showing it. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's great. I love uh Cause we're, I'm so messy. And then coming over here, it's like, wow, it's a museum. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like, it's like a morgue. To yeah. Honest, yeah. Um, to bring it back though to yeah. the the virus for a moment, oh, yeah. and uh, you know, again, I like the fact that this I'm, has been kind of a, the public around the virus. A little good. bit, yeah. yeah. Which I mean, I'm so I, it's hard for me to remove myself mentally from yeah. everything that's going. But I, in my mind, sometimes I don't articulate. I've learned that I don't articulate what's going on in my head very often in the segue. So if it came off at any point, like we were saying something that wasn't about the virus, but it was, apologize. Uh, it's for you to decide, um, whichever makes us look best, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, but the, uh, what was I going to say? It's the, the, the unhappiness. Oh, I feel like one public perspective that's currently like dominating the narrative a little bit is like, how bad things are now and i think that that is legitimate but i think it's also forgetting that in many ways it was really bad before and like it wasn't the the despair that people don't know about or the the feeling the cracks and the whatever and the society and all those things I think they were there before and now we're seeing a lot of products not ne- of causes not necessarily a lot of um just you know Oh my God, they, it was per, like we're idolizing a little bit the past. Yeah. And I feel like, if anything, it should be shedding a light on how not good it was before this even started. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and hopefully that is is can be manifested in a big political way. But we'll see. Yeah. I mean, that's true. That's the, you know, the conservative kind of individual, not politically conservative, a conservative person often idolizes the past, my past relationship, the past world, mm-hmm. and the kind of liberal person idolizes the future the utopia the, uh, but both of the, but there is a tendency sometimes when you had a terrible relationship i see this a lot with people is then they break up or they get a divorce and then they start weirdly fantasizing about how good the relationship was and you have to remind them like you were not happy yeah. it. but the, the fear the sheer fact that they're now out of it they knew it wasn't good but they but they can't help but somehow get caught up in this fantasy mm-hmm. that, oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing this thing for Valley Folk that um, I'm pre-doing or pre-recording, but it's uh, one of them is on breaking up. And I was thinking about how when you break up, there's like this cycle. If you break up with someone and you're the perpetuate the perpetuator? A perpetrator? That perpetrator. A, that's a crime. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Or you're perp- You're the perp. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> if you break up with someone, there's that immediate sense of, like freedom and like, like almost power and like you did it. Like you broke up with someone. Assuming it's like a real relationship yeah. that you you're not a monster and like you, you it takes a certain level of courage to enact the mm-hmm. truth, which is that the relationship isn't working. But I've in my experience, and I could be I don't have many 
a huge, I had a handful of breakup stories that are like real breakup stories. But in my experience, that cycle of breaking up uh, lasts for like a, the freedom part lasts for like a day. Mm-hmm. And then you start to feel kind of bad and then you start to question it. And I think a lot of it is because people think when they break up with someone that they're actually rejecting that person. But what's actually happening is you're going, you're acknowledging that you have also been rejected and they yeah. are, they have rejected you, especially if you tried to work it out and talk it through and they can't, you can't meet eye to eye on whatever situation. And so I think there's a, something there where it's like you, in your mind, you're taking a stand and you're doing all these things, but really what's happening is you're feeling isolated from the other person and you don't know how to cope with it. And I can imagine that can be mirrored in some way with the virus. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. There Everything, was some kind of point there. Yeah. yeah. All right. I well, mean, well, yeah, when you break up with someone, it's like you're, there's a part of you that's in them and part of them that's in you. And yeah, it's awful. Very, well, yeah. It's just awful. Yeah. The whole thing. No, I mean, you the <laughs> the uh, process of breaking up and then dating are the worst parts of relationships. Yeah. The dating is the worst part? Well, the yeah. multiple people. Oh, uh, oh Finding, yes. uh, uh, searching. Right. Oh, yes, yeah. 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 No, it's only the middle part. Yeah. Very anyway. Good. Well, yeah, any tips? <laughs> Just to end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's cool about relationships? Uh, the relationship part. Everything else is there. <laughs> um, what kind of time frame? Oh, we did it. Wow, perfect timing. Hour Great. five. Um, yeah, some takeaways. Thoughts? Yeah, I, this has been great, man. I love this episode. Yeah, I've enjoyed it because it's kind of like, uh, you know, I like the fact that we started off with kind of talking about COVID and like showing kind of, I think, slightly different, not different perspectives, but just coming from different angles and talking about it and then hopefully connecting it with yeah. the public. So for for me, my takeaway is, so basically the public is whatever that force is that's telling you to think in a certain way. And then your position to the public is either you, you become its avatar and you just speak it, or you become the, re- the rebel against mm-hmm. it, you resist it. So you're defining yourself for or against the public, so you're not really free. What Kierkegaard means by the individual is when you take responsibility for your beliefs and you kind of enter into the messiness of that and you um, become passionate in um, your desires and your searching and don't just fall into what he would call like the kind of the 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 realm of images and the realm of of of, of having a lack of passion. So yeah, I think as long as you know that, I think that's a kind of broad brushstroke of what. Yeah, to me, it's like uh, be in the world and not of it, which yeah. I think is one of the most the one of the greatest lines of all time. It's a great line. Jesus, great that line. was Jesus, right? That was Jesus. He uh, hit the yeah. nail on the or well, attributed I'll go there. To, uh, yeah. Some he near no, I won't say nail. I'm trying to stay away from nails because it's a Jesus joke. Uh, oh yeah, very good. <laughs> Have you seen the? We'll talk about this. Often. And that connects with person of interest. Which don't slide off, I'm, man. That's high quality TV right there. I yes. did watch it for a little bit, but it lost me years and years ago. It's so fun. how old is that show? I don't That's know because I just discovered it like a few weeks ago. Like Fifteen years old, and man. I've just been going right. I've been going right the way through, man. I'm already in season four now. And I'm like, that where was this all my life? You're gonna be was it Blacklist next, <laughs> and then uh, Suits? Ooh, Blacklist. Oh, um, I did watch one or two of those. That was. That, even for me, that was too cheesy, and that's the yeah. kind of thing I like. But it's yeah, good so, stuff. All yeah. that stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm a freaking reality show, garbage TV. Anyway, well, yeah. that's the end of the podcast, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.